0: The crowd goes wild no i'm just kidding <laughs> live welcome kasah live welcome everybody in chat we see you thank you for joining us today we'll get right into uh some hey how are you's alex hey how are you
1: hanging in there it's a nice uh well it was a uh, nice uh cold gloomy fall day up here in the northern reaches of new york um so yeah just chilling it's saturday you know I, w- I do want to note. I did notice our our viewer counter went down from uh, by one. So I'm sort of curious if the person who like just tunes in for the intro music, um.
0: <laughs> they just want to jam out for a few yeah. minutes and then I, they're like I, okay.
1: I can't blame him. I, I I dig that song too. So
0: I love watching the three of us down below, like while it's going, yeah. and we're all kind of bobbing <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I usually like a lot of times I'll see Alex do the little bass note real quick when that, that intro starts. <laughs> yeah.
2: Scott Runyon says we have the best elevator music on YouTube.
0: We try, Thanks. you know, we try, <laughs> we do try to have good elevator music. Kristen. Hey, how are you?
2: Good, good. Um, not much going on this week. Just a lot of work, a lot of crazy stuff's been happening. We have a lot to talk about next week's after what happened yesterday. Um, I have yes. a birthday party to go to today and uh, after this. So I'm actually getting out of the house for, I can't remember the last time I got in, other than the movie last week, which was really good, by the way. Eternals was very good. Um, but uh yeah, so actually I, that means like, two weeks in a row. I'm getting out of the house.
0: Mm. Wow. <laughs> Who is this?
2: I don't know. This is, That's good this is strange for me. me.
0: <laughs> I uh even pre-pandemic, like I I hit like my mid-20s and I I because I just turned 30 this year. I, I hit my mid-20s and I just kind of became like a recluse, like a homebody. <laughs> like I just got tired of the public, you know? And so like it's I don't really do. I work outside. I go all, I'm all over the place. I see people all the time, but like once I'm home, somebody's like, Hey, do you want to go do this thing? I'm like, no. <laughs> Why would I leave my house if I'm not getting paid to do so?
2: <laughs> we we responded, you know, we responded back to the invitation to, that came on, uh, on Facebook. And my husband and I just both like, do you want to go? I don't know. Do you want to go? We probably should go. It's family. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then yeah. both of us are like, I don't know, around two o'clock. We're like, I could really use a nap do we really want to go out (laughs) we're we're very much home bodies very much i just have to address too so i rarely get out i go grocery shopping and take my kid to the to school and my dogs to the dog park and then i come home i mean that's pretty much yeah i mean
0: that's that's really besides work like the the amount of like socializing i do outside of you know sitting in zooms or things like this at home is like the grocery store PTA meetings, you know, stuff like that. I do. Oh, I have to address this really quick before we get into (laughs) anything else. Scott says Logan is a fool. Dune was outstanding. Just saying, look, I stand by it. Okay. Dune visually, aesthetically beautiful, beautiful, beautiful movie. Boring. So boring. I'm really hopeful for like the next continued parts, however many there are going to be i i'm hopeful that it's like dune one was just like let's get all the dialogue out of the way in the first movie and then actually have cool things happen in the second and third or fourth or whatever from there that's my hope but if we just talk for the next six hours of dune movies i'm just gonna sleep you guys that's just that's all (laughs) i did through the first one so anyways um yeah i guess we can hop right into it then um Are you ready, Alex? Are you ready for uh, some legislation? Hit it. Hit it. All right, Mr. Clark, what do we have this week? What do we need to keep our ears and eyes on?
1: Well, a lot of updates uh, and continuing uh, engagements here. Um, Obviously, uh, well, hopefully people have now gotten the message that the Uh, uh, Vapor Tax is is back in the language for the Build Back Better Funding um, or Build Back Smoking funding. Um, And uh, uh, this is on our uh, call to action. Let me get my my screen share up here. Um, I see everybody in chat has probably, number one, already done this engagement, but has certainly uh, seen this uh, on our website uh, several times by tuning into the podcast on Saturdays. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's the same, it's the same mess, but with, uh, taxes only being applied to nicotine. So this no longer includes a tax on, on cigarettes, no longer hiking the tax on cigarettes, uh, no longer imposing, uh, what was it? A 1600%, 2000% increase on smokeless, Uh, This is limited to nicotine. And uh, here is the very uh, eye-catching graphic about how much people can expect to pay based on the size of bottle they typically uh, use. Um, So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, the uh, tobacco lobby is strong with the force and uh, managed to convince lawmakers to get these taxes on leaf tobacco products out of the bill. Um, but of course, everybody hates vaping now, and we'll get into that later on. Um, and so, the, the the taxable nicotine tax stayed in the bill, um, and of course, we we continue to have pushback from Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema. Um, but uh, it, it remains to be seen how long they can hold out, uh, and um, and whether or not their opposition will be enough to get the nicotine tax out of the bill. Um, And of course, you know, in anybody's conversations with lawmakers or communications with them, uh, always good to mention that this is actually, uh, this is not an equivalency tax. This is higher than the tax on cigarettes. Uh, If you applied this tax regime to cigarettes, it would be five to six times higher than what the tax is now. Uh, And that is not consistent with the science. Uh, It is not consistent with any notion that these products, that tobacco products should be regulated, uh, proportionate to risk. Um, and really, all this is going to do is, uh, you know, uh, keep people uh, more interested in cigarettes because at face value, they appear to be uh, less expensive than vaping. Uh, and certainly when you're paying, for example, a $28, $28 for a bottle of uh, for a 60 mil bottle of three milligram e-liquid, um, that's people are going to feel that. Um, or if you DIY paying something like a $1,000, um, let's see, I, I can just get down to the table here um yeah uh two thousand eight hundred dollars for a liter of 100 milligram diy liquid uh is insane and yes it will apply to diy stuff <clears throat> so and this, um, is, that this is-,
0: is all nicotine right this is not just uh traditional um nicotine from from tobacco This also covers synthetic, this covers TFN, this covers, this is all encompassing.
1: Right. Generally, it is all referred to as taxable nicotine. So any form of nicotine. Now, of course, people uh, uh, immediately think, well, you know, is that, are they going to tax, you know, nicotine replacement therapy? Is nicotine gum going to get this? No, it's not. Uh, Typically, what we see in provisions like this are anything approved by FDA as a therapeutic product, smoking cessation product is not going to be taxed at this rate. This is strictly for, uh, you know, consumer goods. Uh, I don't want to say recreational nicotine, but uh, just regular old nicotine not I mean, attached to be, a therapy uh, is yeah. going to be taxed. Uh, so that's that's how this stuff goes. So um, for those of you who, who may have already participated in this, by all means, go ahead and send another email. Um, uh, we have, uh, there is a link, of course, uh, for people to, Look up their lawmakers and if you want to, you know, give them a call, uh, you can get all of their contact information from our legislator lookup tool, Um, even if you're, if if you don't, if if you're not already a CASA member and don't want to, you know, don't want to worry about uh, you know, having us collect all your information and count you as a member. Uh, you can use this tool. The only thing it, it asks you is your address and zip code. No other personal information. Just use it as a tool to find your lawmakers and contact them. Uh, and of course, on our our engagements, we have all the talking points that you uh, may need in order to make an effective argument. Um, and so everyone is encouraged to do that. Moving right along. um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, We are back in Colorado. Uh, Denver, Colorado is uh, looking at another Safety, Housing, Education and Homelessness Committee meeting uh, coming up this this coming week on Wednesday, November 17th. Uh, This is at the early start time at 10 a.m. This has been kind of this vote, this decision action by this committee has been pushed back at least twice now. Uh, there was a lot of debate and a lot of uh, discussion uh, at the, the previous meeting, which was delayed because there was more than two hours of, of public testimony and debate uh, about a flavor ban ordinance in, Col- in Denver, Colorado. Um, and so uh, this, this being the second or third meeting that they've had on this issue, uh, I think it's Uh, The probability is that they will pass this on to the full council, Um, but this is another opportunity for people in Denver to get engaged and and, uh, participate in a hearing uh, and and share their testimony, their experience with switching to vaping and why flavors are so important to you, Um, uh, and so all of those details, and of course, uh, the uh, easy-to-use Uh, communication tool to send a message to your city council members all available on our call to action uh and that is denver colorado i haven't colored in the committee hearing bit because we're not done with the committee stuff yet so um that is potentially uh coming up uh and uh definitely check out i think we've got some uh everybody's doing remote uh um uh hearing so definitely check the agenda for details about participating remotely if you are in denver colorado uh the next update we have is portland maine um the safety committee there uh passed the ordinance out of committee and uh this moves on to the full council uh, so another opportunity for people in Portland, Maine, to get involved uh, and, and contact their officials, urge them to oppose this. Uh, the next scheduled committee, or I'm sorry, the next scheduled city council meeting is on the 15th on Monday, uh, but this issue has not shown up on the agenda. I'm not sure what the rules are in Portland, how much lead time they need in order to bring this up. It could be something like it's passed out of committee. So it'll, in 30 more days, we could see it. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not immediately clear to me how this works there. Um, but all of that to say, the committee did vote to move it on to the full council. So we expect to see this on a city council agenda soon. Uh, and uh, this, of course, again, is a flavor ban. Um, other than that, I think that ends the legislative rundown wow a lot of updates a lot of updates
0: a A lot of updates all right well i wish we had good news this week that would have been nice anyways (laughs) i always just get really excited when we have there's been a few weeks where like most of the legislative rundown was like good news i was like yes we need another one of those weeks need another one of those weeks for sure. All right. Well, that being the end of legislation, are we ready to get into some hot takes this week? Do it. All right. Let's do the thing. All right. Well, I believe Kristen is going first this week. Ladies first. You are up. The floor I is forgot yours. To
2: share my screen. Hold on. I knew I was forgetting to do something this morning. I did it. Or I'm all ready morning. to go. I know. I
0: know. I'm just I'm just messing.
2: Is that showing? Yes. Okay. Um, so my take this week is talking about that study that came out. Study that came out with um
0: Heavy air quotes. <laughs> air quotes. Yeah, heavy air quotes. Uh,
2: yeah, very heavy. Uh, talking about vaping and strokes, I mean, it, it was just your typical garbage. And first of all, important to note, it was not published and it was not peer reviewed yet. Uh, but if you put in the word vaping and stroke in Twitter right now, you will get dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of headlines that pretty much just say vaping causes strokes. Um, I mean, if you look at it closely, it says causes strokes in people younger than it does in people who are smoking, which is still, of course, highly questionable. Um, I did a big long, or I did a big long uh, thread on Twitter and I did it all as one big post on Facebook and it is also on our blog, so you can go read that and how we, um, our rebuttal to that. Uh, Garbage like the one with glance with the heart attacks. They did a it's a uh, <laughs> cross sectional. Cross sectional. Thank you. My Brain just
0: blanked That's okay. out.
2: I can see uh, it sizzling. So it's right, it right there. It's right there. Yeah, cross sectional study. So they had no idea whether or not the strokes happened before they started vaping, after they started vaping, how long they had been vaping. Um, uh, whether or not they'd been smoking before they started vaping, uh, just, just a useless, it's useless information. What they got, it, it's useless because it just tells you what you're doing at one particular moment. And like the example I gave, it said, you know, if, if you ask people, okay, have you ever been injured in a car accident? And they said, yes. And then you said, okay, well, we're going to pick the years two, 2015 to 2018. What car were you driving then? And you pick a car, and they say, "Okay, well, those cars have higher risk of accidents." Well, you didn't ask me when I had the car accident; it was two thousand three. You know, so it, if they did that with anything else, people would be like, "Really? That's not." But with help with public health, perfectly acceptable to start putting that out as a headline is it's been established that. Um, but yeah, there was so much wrong with this, and if you think about things like people who again, they could have been smoking before they started vaping. Uh, They could have had a stroke, which inspired them to switch to vaping. Uh, They could, and another thing, but the whole thing about them being younger it said they had a 15% greater risk. Uh, The people in the, in their, in their mid forties, middle age, you know, a little bit younger, uh, the vapors are more likely to have a stroke during that time period. Well, Serious. I mean, if you were younger and you had a stroke, you'd probably be more willing to switch to vaping. Not only that, but people who vape tend to be younger. You know, you're not going to see a lot of seventy-year-olds vaping. I mean, there are there are plenty of you out there, and you guys rock. Um, but but it tends to technology tends to be first embraced by younger folks. So if you have got a bigger pool of people there, um, it just was a mess. And the I know that people. Gave me crap for using the Daily Mail as an article, but I will tell you something. Going through all these different articles, this was the only one I found that actually gave. Um, if you look down here, it actually, it actually was the most informative, I <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but down here is where they actually had somebody, you know, an expert giving their. Rebuttal to this claim explaining how this is not very helpful and it doesn't really say anything. Uh, Liani, Leonie Leone Bros, I'm sorry if I'm butchering it. Dr. Leone Bros, she's from King's College London. Uh, she's the one she brought up as well, but it's cross sectional and they could have had strokes before they had you know start even started vaping. Um, so this is why I, I use this one and uh, the whoops, no wrong one that's for other one. Um, uh, American council on science and health also did a pretty good article pointing out things on this one, as far as they completely ignored the good. The fact that smokers were close to seven people who smoke were close to 7%. I want to say more likely to have a stroke than non-smokers. Uh, people who were dual users was around 4% and people who vaped was around 1%. Um, is that should have been made the headlines that vapors are so much less likely to have a stroke when you conclude all ages, but what do they do? They find the one bad thing they can find in there. <laughs> and that's, what's all over the news. Um, And that's not even true at this point. So, yeah.
0: They, they take that one seems like a bad thing, then distort it. And then that becomes the headline.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it was just cra- Plus not only like that, but the, the, the vapors were the smallest group out of their four their, Eighty thousand people, because that's thing. This huge, huge pool of people. We had, we had, you know, eighty, almost eighty thousand people, and it's like, well, only a small portion of those were actually papers, you know, which was still a pretty decent amount. It was probably close to eight thousand, but um, e- even so, it's cross-sectional. You're looking, you're, you, you ask a general question: Have you ever in your entire life had something happen to you? And then pick a certain year, a certain year old time period and say okay well what were you doing during that time period and then use that for your data and not finding out again glance did this with the heart attack thing um and what was kind of funny though is that this was intended to be read at uh this scientific conferences and thing for uh the american heart association and it looks like if you look down here, it looks like it says this abstract will no longer be presented to scientific sessions, 2021. Unfortunately, the researchers were not able to complete their presentation. Um, probably cause they hadn't completed their study. <laughs> <laughs> God! Um, but yeah, so, uh, I can stop sharing. Hold on.
0: It seems like a lot of folks completed their, uh, conclusion about it though.
2: It was all over the place. And and I think that's one of the things that just makes me so crazy is how when we were talking about this before the meeting or before the show is that they just have to focus on the bad. There was, Like I said, there was a, an article that just came out recently. And instead of saying um, how much safer than smoking are e-cigarettes, um, here's the good and here's the bad. No, they said how bad are e-cigarettes? And then they said not so good, but they're better than smoking. you know it was in the in the byline or whatever you want to call that little part subtitle you know and that's what they do they they i mean you are grasping for straws when you look at a at a study that shows something is so much less risk and all you can focus on is one tiny portion of your entire pool has a slightly 15 percent increase now when we're looking at numbers that's like alex 1.15, you one point 1. 15 right wouldn't that be how it's written out as far as the risk increase i mean it's not maybe. even
1: maybe no. i'm not the i'm not the, numbers. 100%, I'm not the risk exactly. numbers guy yeah no so 100% a 15% 100% increase in
2: is, is, is two so this would be one point i mean it's just a tiny amount a 15% yeah. increase and then you have to look at the fact that people that age are so Already so unlikely to have a stroke to begin with that a 15% increase still is very unlikely to have a stroke, (laughs) you know? So they're, they're, I'm trying to think, you know, it's like, okay, well, vaping, you have a 15% uh, increased chance than people who don't vape vape as um, seeing a UFO. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I I mean, how many people see UFOs? It's just, it just makes no sense, you know, and it just shows you how they, they just contort themselves to try to make this seem like a bad thing and that nobody questions it, you know,
0: it's all over the, like you said earlier, nobody questioned how many of those people had been previous smokers and how long they smoked for. Like, even if you're in your mid forties, if you've been smoking for 30 years, 25, 30 years, and then you switch either because you had a stroke or even if you have a stroke shortly after you switch, you've still got 25, 30 years worth of damage. Um, And a stroke can manifest like that could happen even, even to people who completely quit. You know, there are, there are stories of people who they finally quit smoking uh, whether it be through medication, whatever it is, they no longer use any form of nicotine. They don't use anything. And a few years later they end up with a stroke and there's a good, very good chance that that is the result of that long-term
2: damage
0: uh, done to the body, because smoking affects literally every organ in your body.
2: Yeah, and I think I put that in the—I um, can't remember if I put that in my in the Twitter thread or if I mentioned it somewhere elsewhere. But I did look it up, and I, I looked up how how long after you quit smoking, or you know how how much does your risk of stroke reduce after you quit smoking? And they—you look at various sites; they're all up. Five years, 10 years later, your risks have significantly reduced. They're not not zero, but they've – so up to a decade after you quit smoking, if not longer, you're still – you still have an elevated risk. Is that greater than 15%? You know, so – but they didn't ask that because they didn't know if these people had smoked for 30 years or – well, okay, middle age, that's 40, so let's say 25 years before they switched to vaping, you know, and and – and, and, and realize that I do these takes for you guys out there to know these facts. So when you're out there on Facebook or on Twitter, and people bring this, oh look at stroke. I want you guys to have these tools to come back. You know, our members to have these tools to come back and go, no, 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 no. I saw this on on saw Live, or I saw this on the Casab blog. They explain the whole thing. Or you can just share it. I've seen. I actually saw a couple people when I when we put that one thread out, just shared the whole thread onto, onto the news articles that were putting that out and said, uh, you guys are not even, no, not even close, you know? So I hope you guys use this stuff. This is one of the reasons that I tend to do the studies is take so that you guys have answers to this, these lies that come out, you know, this, this for lack of a better word, crap.
1: I, I, I did people are probably wondering why I have uh, Carl Phillips blog on here. Um, but this is an, an article that he posted uh, from 2014 and it kind of goes to uh, you know what we've been saying here. Um, you know when we it, obviously there's this conflation between people's smoking history and current vaping and how that is is used in a very misleading way in, in studies that you're like you're saying here, Kristen. Um, but you know back then in in you know 2014, uh, Carl Phillips had had sort of written this piece a, a bit, I think, sort of uh, being critical of this idea that that vaping is automatically saving millions and millions of people when in reality, uh, we are all still at higher risk for developing smoking attributable diseases. Uh, and so that number is actually probably quite a bit lower than most of us would imagine. Um, right. and, and And so, you know, all of this, of course, is, uh, you know, in in service of being as honest and 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 uh, and thorough as we can be about the the long term effects of, of vapor products being available, and not overhyping, you know, the the uh, the amount of lives saved, and, and being more, um, you know, uh, just more attention to details in in, in the history of, of people who smoke. Um, right. So anyway, this is a, a thoughtful piece, and I encourage anyone to read this, um, you know, to to further. Illustrate that uh, you know we need we need to be having more honest attention paid towards people's smoking history and how that uh, may lead. Of course, you know when people are just pulling uh, instances of stroke that happened years before the study period, that that, right. that that's 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 not a critical look at at, at all of these factors. But um, anyway, I figured I'd, I'd throw this out there for folks to to reference and, and read.
2: Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, we're much more honest about everything than they are, for sure.
1: <laughs> you yeah, know? well, we but have yeah, to be. We're under way more scrutiny. Should,
2: yeah, and that's something we should always keep in mind because I do sometimes see advocates say, well, they do that. It's like, yeah, but they're not under a microscope the same way. Everybody trusts them. Everybody thinks yeah. we're big tobacco or big vape, you know? So, yeah. yeah. But anyhow, I mean, I think it's great that they pulled the pulled the paper. I hope that they got the message that everybody was sending out there that you guys haven't considered this, 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 and this. And how can you put that out there? But even if they don't, I mean, we're not going to see a single retraction in the paper.
0: hasn't even already. been published.
2: Yeah. Cause it hasn't <laughs> been published. So none of the papers are going to, but I'm saying none of the magazines, news articles, whatever. I mean, pave none of them. They're not going to, you know, the damage is done and, and we'll see later on that. That's kind of the plan. I mean, that's kind of what they do. That's, that's uh that's their M.O.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just going to make two quick little points because they're floating around in my brain before I get to my take. Uh, one, confounding factors as well. Uh, not only are strokes, you know, uh, uh, the result or can be a result of, of smoking, can be a smoking related issue. Uh, studies are... S- They're, they're always limited, right? Like we we're not able to look at someone's entire history, their lifestyle, what they do, uh, what their diet is like all sorts of other things. So it's always good to kind of keep that in mind too. When we're reading stuff like this, uh, that, you know, somebody doesn't live and breathe and like their only activity that they do is sit and smoke. And that's also probably like a sedentary lifestyle. What is, you know, how much does that attribute to things like this? So every, there's always so many confounding factors. Um, and then also with that, uh, that, that article and, and what I haven't read that article from Carl, but I, it, it just reminds me of a point that I've kind of highlighted a few times recently about, you know, safer nicotine products, not only being um, a harm reduction tool, but down the road the, the the harm prevention potential of safer nicotine products, we talk about people and, and, and our risk. Your risk, Kristen, Alex's risk, my risk, being previous um, smokers. If these products remain available to people for years to come, I'm very curious to see what the long-term risks are for somebody who never smoked, and that's that harm prevention component that I, I think that we we can't afford to lose because if people People like us who have a history of smoking, we absolutely have an increased risk for things like heart attack, lung disease, stroke, all sorts of stuff. But what is that level of risk for somebody who's never smoked, who only ever vaped? I mean, we don't and know. There is going to be a risk. You know, there is going to there, be. A, I mean, I mean a there risk, is. Nothing's 100%. Risk walking safe. out your front door, and this is where we need to have those conversations honestly and realistically about about you know, relative risk, but,
2: but it still comes down to the, but they still want, they want to, and I know, we, I know what you're saying. They want it, but they want to take that. And that's why they compare it to breathing fresh air. Sure. The problem is the person who chooses to vape, who has never smoked. There's that factor that they, if vaping never existed, yeah. that they, would they have ended smoke? up smoking. Yeah. So you still have to compare it to, okay. Would that person have ended up smoking? Um, I need to breathe tones. Did this one we were talking about this. Well, something similar to this, this uh, smokes three packs a day, switches to vaping, gets lung cancer. Media blames vaping, sure. Uh, bapping. <laughs> Sorry, <Bapping>. um, <laughs> um, and there was actually something just uh, we were talking about this before the show. There was something in Tennessee, uh, where this woman is getting a double lung trans- transplant and she had uh, a condition, a medical condition that made her susceptible already to lung. Uh, conditions or lung disease COPD things like that Uh, she was quite overweight as well Uh, and she smoked three packs a day and she said and and according to the article she got down to one pack a day started vaping and she went to the hospital and the doctor said vaping caused you to need this double (laughs) lung transplant I mean it was like and the article doesn't doesn't talk to the um, doesn't go to the hospital doesn't verify that her doctors actually told her that doesn't ask if and if they had they didn't they didn't report it and they didn't ask the doctors well what makes you think it was the vaping and not the three packs a day smoking she was doing and the continuing one pack a day smoking with this horrible condition she had already um, none of that was there it was just yeah. You know, and, and how do you make, I mean, talk about correlation. It's like, you can't just look at what she did. And, and not even how long did she vape? What was she vaping? Was she vaping THC? I mean, they didn't even say that in the article. Just, no. she was vaping.
0: But look at it this way. Imagine the cloud she's going to be able to chuck after a new set of lungs. <laughs> okay. <You're so laughs> and we, need this, we need this person on our cloud comp team after this. I hope that she does well though. I hope that, uh, the transplant everything goes well and um i hope that she's able to quit smoking
2: yeah but just it's bad because it's this, the media is just horrible with this that they're just willing to print and say anything that they're told and not even question it and we were talking about this before what the heck happened to journalistic integrity i mean where, where's the investigative reporters anymore just they're not they just pair it and if it bleeds it leads you know
0: <laughs> that's it that is it
2: Okay, you do your thing.
0: All right, I'll do my thing. I'm not going to spend quite as much time on my thing this week, but uh, I have an article here from Dr. Radu. Uh, This is his Tobacco Truth blog. Uh, This is not particularly, uh, this article doesn't have a a focus on, on vaping and nicotine per se, but it definitely applies to the FDA and where we're at right now. Uh, and really, this is just, uh, it's pretty short. I'm not going to read through all of it, though. It is in the uh, blog this week. This is kind of about FDA fumbling things around and their history of doing this. For those interested in tobacco tobacco, tobacco issues, it's worth noting that ProPublica's points, uh, who did an article on this, uh, about FDA treatment of COVID tests and testings are arbitrary and capricious treatment of e-cigarettes and vaping companies. Oh, mirrors the arbitrary and capricious uh, treatment of e-cigarettes and vaping companies. Following are some examples that will resonate with the vaping community. And there are. uh, In late May, biotech company uh, got a confusing email from its FDA reviewer asking for information that had in fact already been provided. They responded within two days. Months passed in September after a bit of back and forth. The FDA wrote to say it had identified other deficiencies and wouldn't review the rest of the application. Even if they fix the issues, the application would be deprioritized or moved back to the back of the line. And that's just one of these few examples here that just kind of show FDA has a history of doing these things, moving goalposts, shifting guidances and deadlines, things like that. Uh, Companies having things in submitted. We see this right now with, um, excuse me, with PMTAs. uh, Deadlines being moved, uh, final guidance not being released until after the due date, things like this. Uh, FDA has a history of doing this. This is not just something that applies to uh, vapor companies and new nicotine companies, things like this, Uh, and PMTAs. This is FDA doing what FDA has a history of doing all over the place. Uh, If anybody is not yet following or keeping up with Dr. Radu's blog, I would definitely suggest that you do. Um, And that's a really good one. I don't have much of a take on it other than that, that if if you're surprised by all of these things that FDA fumbles around and, and mucks up and doesn't quite do correctly, it's nothing new. It's absolutely nothing new. There we go. That's my take. Short and sweet. FDA. Fumble.
1: (laughs) Well, it segues nicely into my take, which is uh, Mm. uh, also to do with FDA. And it's us talking about the FDA. (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) Um Robert Califf is the uh-huh. Biden administration's nominee for FDA commissioner and we can expect it, mm. I, I I assume uh, hearings will begin this week. Uh Monday was the deadline uh and so whatever official procedural stuff has to happen with submitting the nomination to the Senate and starting the hearings and blah 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 um that that should begin this week. Um And uh, Dr. Califf has a track record of being with FDA. Uh, He previously served as FDA's deputy commissioner for medical products and tobacco. Uh, These are two separate offices, by the way, you have the center for tobacco products, and then you have the office of medical products and tobacco um, and uh, different funding streams and so on, just that sort of redundancy within the agency. Uh, And of course, Uh, in February, 2016, he was confirmed as FDA commissioner through the Senate. Uh, and if people are sort of interested in how that vote went, um, it would, he was confirmed with 89 yes votes four no votes and seven people not voting. Um, the opposition came, uh, it was a bipartisan opposition, uh, uh, Ayotte from uh, New Hampshire, a Republican from New Hampshire, opposed Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, opposed Senator Manchin from West Virginia, opposed. And Senator Markey from Massachusetts also opposed Califf's confirmation back in 2016, citing his close ties to the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and of course, uh, Califf is is coming into the agency once again, while uh, FDA is uh, taking a lot of heat for Allowing or uh, approving uh, uh, opioid uh, medications for long-term use, uh, which of course has fueled this been been a fuel for the opioid crisis in America, Um, and um, and of course uh, everything you just mentioned, Logan, about the um, uh, uh, all all of the the COVID approvals and so on, uh, also. Oh, I lost my thought there. <laughs> um, sorry, this, sorry, you know, if my
0: take derailed
1: you. <laughs> no, 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 it didn't. It didn't. It was it was it was spot on. Uh, and it, it's part of some of the articles that I, I've been reading here. And, and, and you know, the FDA is sort of uh, working to restore some confidence in, in the agency and that they are making the right decisions about um, vaccines and, and and therapies and, and so on um, and so uh, he's got he's got quite a uh, a list of things to deal with. Um, whether or not he's going to be effective remains to be seen. But the likelihood that he is com- that he's confirmed uh, is is relatively high. Uh, I'm not quite sure how attitudes have changed uh, among people in Congress now, uh, having gone through COVID 19. Uh, also, you know people's uh, opinions about how FDA is handling tobacco regulations. Um, no matter no matter what side of this debate you fall on, I think everybody is sort of uh, clamoring that FDA is 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 doing a really piss poor job of this. Um, so uh, but I, I did want to a couple of quotes I pulled from uh, a 2016 New York Times article about his confirmation. Uh, New York Times, obviously, a, a better uh, able to afford a better picture of Robert Callowth than the FDA um that uh, some of the quotes here as specific to uh, his uh, ties to the pharmaceutical industry he's done a lot of consulting for the pharmaceutical industry uh, and you know also his background is as a cardiologist uh, and, and clinical researcher uh, and so he that lends itself well to doing consulting work uh, and also of course your experience with the regulator um, but an uh, interesting sort of double standard here uh, that many, many medical experts countered that the industry was a principal financer of research in the United States and that working with companies did not present an inherent conflict. Uh, no, one, no one is saying that about tobacco industry research, which tends to be of higher quality than some of the stuff that the NIH funds, um, and uh, it is... is routinely dismissed and 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 highlighted as a conflict of interest and and research of that nature should be ignored um which is kind of nonsense and obviously doesn't apply to the pharmaceutical industry so um this is our potentially next fda commissioner uh and um yeah Uh, another fun fact is that he was presiding over the fda when the uh, tobacco deeming rule was finalized in 2016. Uh, He took the post in February of 2016 and and stayed through the end of the Obama administration. Um, So um, the long and short of it is uh, don't expect any breaks for the vapor industry in uh, Dr. Califf's FDA. Uh, And I would say arguably things may actually get worse. Uh, Whether you believe that synthetic nicotine is the way out of this or not, um, I would expect to see FDA under Caliph's leadership, I'm sorry, leadership, um, move toward regulating synthetic as a drug, uh, or otherwise closing that, um, perceived loophole. So, um, more bad news.
2: <laughs> I well, only if he gets confirmed.
0: I do want to highlight that that is a pharmaceutical
1: grade mustache though. <laughs> it is? Oh yeah. Let me, let me, let's put that back up there. That yeah.
0: right there is pharma grade my friends
1: can you get a pill for
0: that you can actually
2: <laughs> that's, that's a tying the damsel in distress to the railroad tracks must have
1: oh my goodness <laughs> get the um, trench coat and a 10 yeah a <laughs> yeah hey that alex
2: is... do you know what he's been doing since he left the fda
1: no do you
2: no i was curious if you would happen to I, I would shock i though, would like, assume cardiology
0: fda Research. commissioners and ties to pharmaceutical companies and well, things that's like, like that's the revolving door though it really you know?
1: is yeah well i mean this is yeah That's. It, 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 it's 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 ongoing i mean mitch zeller has gone back and forth between uh working for the regulator and working as a consultant sure. to the industry and so on so yeah. it, it's it's look at our is, old our old buddy scott yeah went to a lot
0: of posts lately about like bring back gottlieb and things like this and i just shake my head please no you know not that caliph is going to be any better or was uh but we need to get past this idea of like oh well gottlieb was was okay right like no (laughs) like there was no coin term epidemic pre-gottlieb
1: yeah you know i i i Well, I will say, uh, just to be the contrarian here, uh, you know, out of our options, I would much rather have Gottlieb back at FDA. I'd have to say Um, that like like this
0: this falls into like the the let's vote for the lesser of two evils thing. Exactly. You know,
1: exactly. I I, I, the
0: lesser of two evils is still evil.
1: I I I I agree with that, but uh, out of any of these nominees or people who have been acting commissioners or you know, anyone in leadership at FDA. Scott Gottlieb has actually had a more nuanced view of this issue and was part of the leadership that pushed back the deadlines uh, and, yeah. and he he was not there when the agency succumbed to political pressure to ignore the science and just make wholesale decisions about flavored products um, yeah. this is happening was, under still the, a lot this, of damage, is, this is happening under the allegedly science driven administration. So you know, we went from the clown car to people walking around with microscopes and lab coats, and they're they're both. I mean, it was the clown car that was actually making data driven decisions. So I, you know,
0: yeah, Gottlieb still did a did a lot of damage though.
2: They all have. That's the problem. So, but I think I I would just
0: rather see us. You know, again, yeah, I agree. Uh, Of the options, sure, I'd take Gottlieb back too but that it's still, it's that lesser of, of all the evils, like we need, we need, we need to stop recycling folks through this system and get a a fresh set of eyes and ears in here who actually cares about the science, who actually gives a shit about public health. That's what we need instead of just making these little, like, you know, I I don't know. Yeah. I just don't agree with the, the rhetoric of like, bring back Gottlieb, like, we can, we can do better than Gottlieb. We can do better than Caliph. Like
2: we anyway, could, I'm they off my can't. soapbox.
0: <laughs> Curry's the lesser of all the evils. You can, I mean, have that's him. the
2: problem. We could do better, but the government apparently can't come up yeah. with anybody better for us. So yeah, we're sort of at their mercy.
0: I will say though, Gottlieb always wore nice socks. Yeah. You know, so. we, we could get somebody back who has a good fashion sense Uh, when it comes to their socks i guess
2: wait wrong one where'd it go ah steve he says that he's currently a professor at the duke university school of medicine
1: cool (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that that uh, is is any well? Thanks for filling in what he's been doing in the meantime. I think that was the that was the response.
2: Yeah, that's what that yeah. was for. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, at least he's been busy educating the minds. I guess.
2: I wish I would have. I mean, we need to like look into him and see if has he given any lectures on vaping. You know what is it? You know, and a lot of his like. You know, I think it was Greg that pointed out that when he was doing some of the stuff he was doing against vaping back then, it was sort of at the height of some of the stuff that the CDC was doing. So I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to see if he's changed his mind at all.
0: And honestly, I saw a lot like better rhetoric from Gottlieb post leaving the FDA. Like once he was kind of unshackled, he was actually, like, correcting terminology and, like, all sorts of stuff on Twitter and putting things out there. And it was.
2: Yeah. He was, like, it was all also like, was all a this? difference. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh,
0: okay. Enough about Gottlieb. Scotty. <laughs> oh, Scotty. All right. I guess that, right. Are, is your take? That was your, your good?
1: Yeah. Not so much a take. Just reporting the news. You, you've you've <laughs> taken. You took. <laughs> I took it.
0: You, I think we all did here. All right. Moving briskly, swiftly, moving right along. Either way. We're going to dive. So this week, Kristen has come fully equipped with scuba gear for oh. this deep dive.
2: So you could, yeah, I'm going to need the uh, tank. She's of got box. a
0: respirator. She's got the wetsuit. She's got the tank.
2: I'm going to need, need it for all the talking I'm going to have to do. Um, <laughs> somebody give me oxygen. Uh,
0: uh, well, I mean, yeah. respirator is still much better than ventilator. So we'll get you a respirator.
2: True, true.
0: I just don't want you to have to use a ventilator.
2: <laughs> um, you know, we did, We had not a lot of new stuff that happened recently that we could get a deep dive into. So, I mean, well, I suppose we could have done the letter from Dr. Michael P- Pesky? P-
0: P- Pesco? P- Pesco? Pesky?
2: The one who from he did the studies in the NIH and stuff, but um, I didn't know how deep we could get into that, but that could always be one for future. Um, I thought about that after the fact, uh, but that's been going around. So um, the, I think, it, did, it, did we put that in the news blog? I don't remember. Um, anyhow, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about why they hate us, why, Why? you know, a lot of us, we, Pesco, thank you, Skip, um, a, a lot of us got into vaping advocacy, because we were like, wait, they want to ban this, why, I don't understand, and way back when, in like 2009, we thought, okay, well, we can just, you know, they just don't understand, you know, they think we're big tobacco, they think we're, um, it looks like smoking, so they're confused, you know, and it took a while to get, to understand and a lot of it came from, from me personally, was talking to people who were smokers advocates. I wouldn't say they're smoking advocates, but I would say they were smokers advocates that that they had a right. And they sort of filled me in on what had happened up until this point. And I'm like, oh, okay, so that makes sense. Um, And as I was going through and doing some searches and stuff, trying to find a bunch of things, I came across a really great article that I'm going to share, but uh, because this just goes deep, this is this is a long history. It's not this is not something new. This is not they they have had a lot of practice doing the things that they're they've done to get to this point, and it and it went from. We're trying to in the 1960s. We're trying to end smoking because smoking kills. And then it went to smoking kills, tobacco's bad. And then it was nicotine. We need to end the nicotine. And now the end game is ending tobacco use and nicotine addiction, even though nicotine addiction was never in the original, um, the original thing. And that was one of the reasons why we've come to this, where a lot of us are still using nicotine. So that's a big thing, number one. Um, Some people think that we, that they hate us so much because of Jewel. Uh, They think, oh, if Jewel had never existed, we would be fine. We wouldn't, you know, it was all Jewel's fault. And if Jewel hadn't done what Jewel did, then they wouldn't be attacking us now. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to show with that was that that's not true. Because if you look at, um, let me see if I can get this now. If you going back to and you can go to our timeline can we pull up
1: I have the timeline if you want can you pull it up I, I have I have a, I have the timeline of tobacco control themes is that what you're looking for
2: no just casssa's timeline
1: oh, okay just
2: I thought people would find that was interesting too that we do have a timeline while I'm looking this up um but uh, the I, I have so many notes I can't even tell you but what I want to bring up is for someone to get the jewel thing out of the way back in uh-huh. We have to pull this up. Um, back in 2014, there was a hearing before the Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation. It was in June of 2014, and um, I need to pull this up here.
1: We don't have it on our timeline.
2: No, we do not. Um, but I just thought people would find that interesting that we have that timeline. It talks about where we were, what was going on during those time periods. Um, and I'm just I just like to-
0: how Kristen picked the one note <laughs> that we don't have on the timeline Sorry. to highlight.
2: <laughs> of course, that's my luck. Um, I'm just trying to find this. And my computer has decided to just go super slow right now, which is making it worse. Um, but I'm trying to find during this hearing... Uh, Sorry, you guys. Um, there, there it is. There it is. Come on. Um, I'm just going to read it. Um, they were, they had pulled all the, I think Blumen, Blumenthal, I think was, you mentioned him earlier. He was one of the uh, people in this who were speaking and, you know, demanding to know why, you um, what was going on with Laurelard? Cause at the time Lorillard had purchased blue e-cigs the year before. And um, this is the, I get so confused trying to do this. And um, which one's that one? Oh, that's the themes one. Okay, sorry. Um, you know, I, yeah, I guess I could, well, okay. Now I just put it down. I was gonna say, I could start with that. But... I put it I back have... up. Yeah. Um, well, this was really interesting because when you look at this, it shows that in 1964, cigarettes, their 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 theme, the the what the tobacco control was fighting for or whatever, was to get the message out that cigarettes are hazardous to men and likely to be for women. They weren't sure whether or not women were harmed by cigarettes, which is so sexist. Um and then for harm reduction, they said cigars and pipes are safer than cigarettes. Lower tar cigarettes may be safer. And this is really interesting because we there was a, been a whole discussion on low tar and filters. Didn't we? Was that last week that we just talked about this? Um, I think oh, we no. touched
0: base on it. Uh, uh, yeah, because right. on Twitter, um, I've
2: been talking with like uh, some people on Twitter on my account about wasn't it tobacco control that demanded to have safer cigarettes in the first place? Um And then if you go down to 1980, then it it changes to uh, cigarettes are lethal when used as intended, kill more people than heroin, cocaine, alcohol, AIDS, fires, homicide, suicide, and automobile accidents combined. Um, But jump up to 2001, it now says all cigarettes are equally lethal and all tobacco products are unsafe. They start pulling that out, that that all tobacco products are unsafe. And there's no recognition or encouragement at all of that anything could possibly be safer. And they, and then in 2014, there's an acknowledgement uh, that, you know, smoke from combustion. They were starting to talk about that. I think part of it may have been e-cigarettes vaping has started to emerge or, you know, is getting more. So they kind of have to start admitting that, Oh yeah, I guess smoking's the worst, but they went from, it went from smoking and their mission became later on nicotine and it was nicotine that they, you know, now it's, it's all nicotine. And, and why are, why are they doing that? Um. Let me add mine here. Okay. So on, on this, you can see that, um, and I've got to try to find my show notes now. This, this is the, the this is a transcript of the uh, this transportation thing and if you if you scroll down and I'm not gonna try to find it because it's buried deep in there and I guess it might be better for me to just wait let me see just share this one um, whoops nope stop all right can you see the show notes now I can't tell because I yep. can't see my screen while I'm doing this um. This is Lorillard responding, being polled in front of Congress, very similar to what happened to Jewel. And again, back in 2014. And so to all the people who say, well, you know, none of this started, none of this flavor stuff, none of this, you know, none of this started until Jewel. It's all Jewel's fault. Um, this is Lorillard responding to them, talking about how, um, you know, we don't intend these to be for youth and talking about, uh, you can see here, It's disturbing that the attorney generals and others of the the public health community are relying on their 1990s tobacco playbook to raise the specter of youth usage as a reason to ban or adopt draconian restrictions on the marketing and sale of these. In fact, concerns that youth are using electronic cigarettes at alarming rates are not supported by the evidence. You know, and it goes on to talk about the flavors, um, whether or not they're, you know, so this was an attack we were experiencing before Juul even existed. And even before that, you can see here, they were talking about, uh, and just you guys know, I put the uh, links to all of this in the actual description box before the show. So it's all there. Um, you know, so they were, so they were complaining about, about using the, about using flavors. Um, and then here they're talking about how the, uh, I don't know if you can see that, <laughs> that little ad, there, that's the old blue ad with the girl in the bikini bottom, um, and the, the the guy who hated vaping said, "Well, this is going to appeal to teenage boys; like it's not going to appeal to any adult males." Um, and then there was a campaign for tobacco-free kids, who in their press release uh, down here state, "How um, they're marketing to the kids, e-cigarette." And again, this is in twenty thirteen. So two years before, they're using the same themes and tactics tobacco companies have long used to market regular cigarettes to kids. Television and online ads for e-cigarettes have featured catchy slogans and celebrity endorsers such as actor Stephen Dorff, TV personality Jenny McCarthy for Blue e-cigs, which actually by that point was one year now it had been uh, owned by a tobacco company. It was started by some guys in Australia originally. And rocker Courtney Love for Enjoy. the irony of that is, like I said here, in when this article, when they wrote that, Steven Dorff was 40, Jenny McCarthy was 41, and Courtney Love was 49. So just false that this was attracting kids. So they were doing this again, 2013, before Jewel got accused of anything. Um, and, of course, talking about flavors, that same article talks about Fruit Loops and Gummy Bear. Uh, so – all of these are on there that you can see we're um, talking about that. And then, let's see, I'm just going to use this because it's easier to find. Uh, dot, dot, dot. This is talking, okay, so this was talking about the progression of, and this article, again, this one from BMC Public Health is a good one you guys might want to read because it talks about how um, how public health was pushing safer smoking alternatives. Originally the the push was to find safer smoking. It wasn't, it wasn't prohibitionist. It wasn't, um, banning it everywhere. It was to find something safer because it was kind of understood people are going to use it. And, uh, you can see here we talk about the sales of filter lower tar cigarettes. Boom. The government started, uh, testing cigarettes for tar and nicotine yields. Uh, there was a lower tar race on the way. And then, um, in a set of testimony in 20, 2007 Commissioner report that in 1967 most public health officials believed that reducing the amount of tar in a cigarette could reduce a smokers risk of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it was thought that giving consumers uniform and standardized information about the tar and nicotine would help smokers make informed decisions. And now you hear that it was just a, all a ploy by big tobacco, but really public health was pushing that to happen. Um, and then coming down here, talking about getting into smokeless and and how they started saying this product is not a safe alternative to cigarettes, despite the evidence um, that it is safer. The 80s and 90s is when um, they started stressing that smokeless tobacco was not safer than cigarettes. Why did they do that? Because it got to be this point where they were trying to um, – smoking was coming down and they were trying to keep people you had the prohibitionists you know so they're trying to keep people from switching to other safer alternatives and I'm going to jump this is a really good article too and again this one is uh is in the links below but what I want to jump to really quick is not really quick this is not gonna be really quick and I apologize now but I'm gonna try to talk fast Uh, is the Cine journal article and uh it's the last link in the um in the list of links in the description. And it's, it's called uh, the corruption of public health. It was written by John Tierney, the name, Alex and I are like, that name sounds familiar, but we haven't had a chance to look up who that is. Um, Admittedly, this is a sort of right-leaning article. And I want to, before I start talking about this, I kind of wanted to address it because in the beginning, (laughs) almost all of the anti-vaping stuff was coming from, Democrats, you know, it was almost all Democrats were pushing the ordinances, pushing the laws. And we were talking about this before the show and said, you know what, that kind of makes sense because they tend to be people who get into public health or people are tend to be Democrats. They tend to be more. We want to help people. We want to have the government helping people. So it kind of makes sense that people in the public health realm would be um more progressive and so don't take that as being because we know that we've seen bad laws coming from both sides of the aisle now for various reasons um what's the most frustrating is the the prohibitionist attitude from coming from the same people in the next breath who want to have harm reduction for drugs and needle exchanges and safe use things and stuff and stuff like that so that's that's the disconnect with that. But I wanted to just kind of put that first. That I'm so I apologize. This is 2017, and there is a lot of sort of progressives, progressives, and so don't take offense to that. Um, but uh, how do we? How do they get here? How do they get from um, from we need to help people who are smoking, help them stop smoking to we need to ban e-cigarettes or ban them using them outside and crazy stuff like that um and they're talking he talks about the disinformation campaign um i just want to see where did i start okay this was this was an article that he was uh let's see Having noted that smoking can lead to illness, public health specialists now identify smoking itself as a disease, something inherently undesirable that happens to unwilling victims. So creating people who smoke as a victim was like sort of a first step. To rescue these victims, public health officials sought a smoke-free society. Okay, so now we're smoke-free. They lobbied for bans in smoking indoor places, reasonably enough. Why should taxpayers using public property be involuntarily subjected to smoke? Okay, so they all they all successfully did that. Okay, so the problem is, is that the activists also successfully fought for state and local bans on smoking outdoors and in private bars and restaurants, and now that's uh, multi, multi-unit uh, housing and things like that, um, but specifically the outdoor thing and stuff traveling through walls. It's like that claim, unlike the Surgeon General's landmark warning in 1964, was not based on rigorous empirical analysis. It was led by the Environmental Protection Agency and the CDC. The new generation of public health activists cherry-picked studies and massaged the data to support claims that secondhand smoke was causing thousands of cases of lung cancer annually, and that banning it in some towns brought dramatic declines in the rate of heart attacks. And we all know that's the Helena um, heart attack miracle. And who did that one? Glance. Um, so long-term studies has subsequently debunked the alarms, but anti-smoking activists remain unapologetically convinced that the ends justified the means. And it was that word, it was that sentence that I read that first part about, because the ends justifying the means is an important thing. That's the mentality that you have to keep in mind that we're up against. You can't just think it's all about the money. It's all about big tobacco. It's all about big pharma. It's about, um... MSA and, and and all that kind of stuff how did we get to where we are where this where these people have such power over all these other people and one of it was lying about secondhand smoke um, because the ends justified the means and so what they're doing now is still an ends justifies the means thing uh, it's and here was an interesting thing that they said da, da, da. the new prohibitionists were also disturbed by some smokers switched to smokeless nicotine products like snuff and chewing tobacco. As Surgeon General in 1986, uh, Coop denounced the tragic mistake of replacing the ashtray with the spittoon. Once the public health establishment changed the goal to a tobacco-free society from a smoke-free society, it became taboo to point out how comparatively safe smokeless tobacco was. When, When Brad Radu, an oral pathologist now at University of Louisville, which we all know him, right? Uh, interviewed, reviewed the literature in the 1990s. This is how long he's been doing it, you guys. Um, He estimated that smokeless tobacco eliminated 98% of the harm from cigarettes. Smokeless tobacco. Vapors, keep this in mind. This is tobacco. Not all tobacco is bad just because it's tobacco. Um, And the American Dental Association, as well as the National Cancer Institute, denounced him and the National Institutes of Health subjected him to a year-long investigation just for telling the truth. Uh, but his estimates were an understatement. Researchers reviewing the literature in 2009 concluded that it's actually 99% safer than smoking. And then it goes on to talk about Sweden. Um, the abstinence-only strategy, also known as quit or die, has manifestly failed. Despite a half-century of anti-smoking campaigns, more than 50% of adults still smoke in the U.S. and in every European country except Sweden. Um, and then let's see. The, these people know of the dangers, but persist because of another fact that pro- prohibitionists refuse to accept. Nicotine provides real benefits, and that's another problem. It's it, you only use it because you're addicted. That's they sold that narrative because they don't want people using it. It's a prohibitionist ideal, basically. Um, so, and I think I think that was pretty much th- th- this whole article, you guys. I'm not going to read the whole thing, obviously, but I was just trying to find the highlights here. Um, this was one of them there's also a large financial angle the campaign against nicotine and you know it comes to that there's idealism and now the financial angle the campaign against nicotine is being conducted by what uh, economists, economists call the baptist bootlegger coalition named for the baptist preachers who campaign for blue laws blah 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 we have heard we've heard that when we're talking with uh, jacob um, in the anti-nicotine campaign, the Baptists are the health, public health officials and nonprofit groups that denounce e-cigarettes, the bootleggers of the industry, profiting by suppressing competition from vaping. One's a pharmaceutical in- uh, industry, and obviously, you know, because it competes with their products. And then, of course, there's also the, um, the tobacco companies, which, you know, basically, if they can get the regulations, then they get to corner the market is where that comes down to. So... Um, Think that I got to get back to the screen where I can see what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's sort of a history right there. But you can see that it's it became it went from smoking to tobacco, and now it's tobacco and nicotine. And I think one of the links I have there is the one for the American Heart Association. Did I read that one yet? Did I include that one? Um, basically the heart association put out a thing they were talking about the end games (laughs) e-cigarettes threaten the tobacco end game the tobacco end game ending tobacco use and nicotine addiction in the u.s is within sight about 14 percent of people in america smoke the goal is to drive that rate down below five percent to save millions of lives um and you can see there that they're they're conflating Smoking with tobacco again, you know, and nicotine use. It's like they go. They went immediately from we need to get rid of tobacco. Tobacco endgame: ending tobacco use and nicotine addiction in the U.S. is within sight. About 14 percent of people smoke, so they like they they did they said tobacco, they said nicotine, and then they went into the statistics for smoking, not for tobacco, not for nicotine, but for smoking. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with it, it looks like smoking. Uh, what are they going to? I mean, there's a whole section on there about what the um what was that? The March of Dimes phenomenon. Have you heard of that? When the March of Dimes basically eradicated polio, and they're like, "Well, what are we going to do now? We've pretty much put ourselves out of a job." But did they stop what they were doing? No, they went on to campaign for other stuff. You know, and. And that's essentially what, you know, if we actually got down to 5% people smoking, and when you see that, you'll see not just 5% people, the, the, the end game is a five, getting, get, you can't, the 5% came from, somebody was quoted as saying, we're not going to be able to ban cigarettes until we get down to 5%, 5% or less people smoking. That's where it came from. Because really the goal is not getting less than 5% people smoking, it's getting it down that low so they can ban cigarettes. And then, you know, they're not going to stop with cigarettes. They're going to want to ban tobacco and they're not going to want to stop with that. They're going to ban nicotine, <laughs> you know, recreational nicotine, not stuff that's helping people. So, I mean, that's where this all comes from is it's it's, it's an ideological thing. It's a, I got to keep my job thing. I have to validate my existence thing. You know, um, I, you know, I used to say that about cassaw too. I used to say, you know, I hope that someday we don't need a cassava. Um, but I think I don't hope that I hope that because I think, I mean, I do, I, I, it's wishful thinking it would never happen, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, because I don't think that, cause I think vaping was always going to need and, and lower alternatives. It's always going to be mm-hmm. needing, they're always going to try to ban us. I guess is what I'm trying to say in some form or another, they're always going to keep coming at us. So I don't think it's going to, that's going to happen, you know, but I do wish that, I could be that we, we weren't necessary. That they weren't going to need us. That we didn't. There was it's no. Like need
0: that, uh, have you ever seen the commercials for that dating app? And it's like we're designed to be deleted or whatever. That's like the best kind of advocacy group because if you succeed, right. you no longer needed, right? Like the the playbook for groups like Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids is that they they continue to shift things along the way uh, so that way they can be needed forever. Like, you you know what I mean? That's that's that kind of playbook. Um, I definitely agree with you. I think ideology, I think one of the biggest, easiest mistakes that will and I I was very much in this boat coming into uh, tobacco harm reduction and learning about all of this is to blame uh, financial interests to to j- just kind of throw it all at the the MSA blood money argument that this is all for money, that this is all for tax dollars. And while I agree that financial interest does play a part in all of this. It does. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't play as big a part as a lot of people think. Uh and I I I think ideology is truly like the biggest thing here. Uh that like you were talking about that prohibitionist mindset. We have gone through countless temperance movements over time, uh, pre-e-cigarettes, talking about tobacco, talking about drugs, um, all around the world. Um, And a lot of them tend to fail uh, for a number of reasons. And there were uh, anti-tobacco groups and anti-smoking groups uh, before 1964 with the Surgeon General's warning. They existed long before that. And a lot of them failed. Miserably. They 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 went nowhere um, because there wasn't evidence to back up things. They were making wild claims. Um, 1964, the Surgeon General's warning really gave a lot of credence to what they were trying to do and gave them a lot of ammunition. And that's kind of a really big turning point, at least in America, with anti-smoking and anti-tobacco groups was the 1964 Surgeon General's warning or the report, excuse me. Um, but yeah, I agree. Ideology is, is is one of the biggest driving factors here. It's why science is ignored and, and pushed to the side. It's it's that quit or die, abstinence only mindset that not only drives a lot of the, the tobacco rhetoric in this country, but all drugs uh, in this country. Um, I wanted to, again, highlight I'm going to highlight two books, really. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this soapbox. Kristen, you did a phenomenal job going through that. And we are quickly approaching uh, the end hour here. But I know that we've already talked about this book and we had Jacob on the rediscovery of tobacco, um, smoking, vaping, and the creative destruction of the cigarette. Jacob does a pretty good job at kind of summarizing a lot of that history, uh, kind of shortened down quite a bit. There's a lot to this book. Um, but that history of anti-smoking is in here and and Jacob does a really good job covering it. I would like to really, when we talk about the history of anti-smoking, uh, this is a phenomenal book right here and is really just a focus on that where Jacob's book covers not only that, but a lot of other topics along the way. This book, uh, from Christopher Snowden, uh, velvet glove, iron fist, which is literally a history of anti-smoking really goes through history like not just American history, uh, but around the world, anti-tobacco, anti-smoking, and and how that rhetoric has changed those groups, how they they came to rise and fall over time and where they really got a foothold here in this country. And then also how the groups from here have also influenced countries around the world along the way uh, with this same kind of, this same ideology, these same practices, the same playbook. Um, so while, yes, Kristen, you did a phenomenal job in the time that we have for people who really, I think, want to do a, a, a good read for themselves on the history of it and you have the time for it. Obviously, we, we don't have the time to go through this. <clears throat> this is a phenomenal book. Uh, and I, I heart- do
2: really – It is a phenomenal book. And that's one of the first books. And I learned a lot from him. But I do really recommend people click that Corruption of Public Health article. The the reason I came, and I'm going to try to do this really quick, because the reason I came across that article was I came across a podcast or something that was interviewing him. And just a quick quote. He says, There is this bizarre libertarianism, you know, on the left. I mean, it's pseudo-libertarianism and that it's fine to vape marijuana. You know, it would be all right, but the war on vaping is just the strangest thing. And it comes out of this sort of prohibitionist streak from the left. Progressives had had this since the original progressives in the 1920s. They were among the leaders to ban alcohol. And, you know, it's the old joke about the left that everything that is not mandatory forbidden, basically. Not everything that's not mandatory is forbidden, basically. Again, this is that whole, you know, this is kind of frightening. And so after the dangers of smoking became evident, the public health establishment smoked out forcefully against them in 1964. But at that point, um, public health establishment was still considered itself doing public things, they would do public education. They would, you know, their tradition was doing public projects to stop infectious diseases from spreading and doing vaccines, that kind of things that are genuine, genuine public missions. They are public goods that the government should provide, but the profession has become dominated by people on the left, that their real goal has become more just expanding government power over us and expanding that any behavior that strikes them as objectionable. Therefore the government should get involved in regulating that. Now we know the right does that too. And they became so fixated, but here's the part, they became so fixated on against tobacco that whereas the original, you know, war on tobacco had been simply to warn people about the dangers of smoking, the goal went from being a smoke-free society to a tobacco-free society. So they became against nicotine in any form whatsoever, and they spoke out against smokeless tobacco and basically hid the fact that smokeless tobacco eliminates 99% of the harm of cigarettes. Um, and when vaping came along, even though vaping seems even safer and it's been estimated eliminates at least 95% of the dangers, it's probably more than that. Um, it was because the nicotine and it looked like smoking, you know, and they are kind of fundamentalist Baptists who objected to dancing because it looks like sex. And therefore the fact that it looked like smoking and involved nicotine, therefore it must be bad. So that was, that was kind of, and again, I warn you that, you know, he's kind of right leaning, but, um. That, that whole quote is what got me out of this article. So I would read the article. So I mean some it's more political, but it does explain where some of this mentality has come from, as, as where they're there, you know, it looks like smoking, uh denormalizing. That's a big thing. I mean, a lot of the links that I have on there, please look at those because it talks about it's just it's it's a combination of so many different things, but it wasn't just because of blue, it wasn't just because of Big tobacco. It wasn't just because of big pharma. It wasn't just because of the MSA things. There's a fundamental belief system that's behind this. There's an ideology, this idea that they're going to end all of this. And if you don't address that, if you think it's all just about money and you just start yelling about that, they're not hearing it. They're not, they don't care. You know, they've got the power now. So they don't care.
0: And that mentality, again, is not just Uh in tobacco. I mean, we, we are now 50 years into Nixon's war on drugs, where we militarized right. the police um, ag- against communities, against drug users. And, that's, and it flies in the face of all evidence uh, as to whether or not this war on drugs has been successful. If anybody won the war on drugs, it's been drugs the whole time. Um, yeah, that's but that's the mentality that in spite of all this harm, in spite of all the damage that's caused, in spite of dehumanizing people uh, and and all of this, we trudge forth. Why? Because of ideology. Uh, it's the only it's ideology. You know, when, when you have people who are very much set in that that mindset, unwilling to change, unwilling to learn, um, that can be a really hard that can be a really hard thing to tackle to go against, and I think the war on drugs is specifically a really good example of just how difficult uh, changing that kind of I- ideology can be, especially in government and particularly in public health. So,
2: and I think my whole point on this was we know why they were fighting smoking, and we sure. know why they're fighting the war on drugs, and it was trying to get those two things. Is like, well, why are they fighting vaping then? Because <laughs> you know they want to end the war on drugs. They understand. Uh, harm reduction and other things. And they were against smoking. I think there's a lot
0: of so I was trying to explain to
2: people, you know, the whole point is, you know, you consider and show the history of smoking and, you know, anti-smoking, I'm sorry, but that still doesn't quite explain why that continued into vaping and why it turned to nicotine. And do you know what I'm saying? And and it doesn't make any sense that the people who are trying to end smoking, end the war on drugs are trying to start a whole nother black market and all that kind of, I don't know. Yeah. I'll be quiet. Alex, did you have anything to say on this? It's been called Logan and us and me.
1: <laughs> That's fine. No, I, I don't have, um, and thank you for, you know, putting all this together. And and I, I, I'm really just sort of listening in here. Um, <laughs> but um, I, one thing that really did jump out at me and I'm glad that you found this uh, this document with the, the, the transcript from uh, the hearing back in 2014, I think it was. Um, but this quote, this is a response from uh, 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 is it Jason Healy from Blue, um, in part of his remarks and talking about uh, the, the marketing. By the way, if you just sort of do a word search in this document, marketing shows up 157 times uh, in this transcript. Some of that is related to some of the the, uh, the pieces of, of evidence that they submitted, um, but also just the the, the overwhelming. Theme of the discussion was marketing, and at the time, I remember watching this this hearing and hearing Blues uh, or Jason Healy's response. Also, Laurel Lard was part of this, but you know, part of their response was you know their voluntary restrictions, such as limiting ad placement to media and events where the target audience is at least eighty five percent adult uh, or ex- match or exceed restrictions adopted by comparable adult consumer product companies. Uh, and, and and this is you know this is not just a matter of uh, 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 Blue uh, adopting these standards voluntarily, these standards, what Blue was doing met or exceed federal regulations on marketing of adult products. And so even being given that information, that did not seem to impress the committee as you you know have read or, or, or listened to all of the other things. They just sort of kept hounding on flavors and this and that. And and really, it's if you're going to, as a committee, ignore that response from from the industry of we are already adopting marketing standards that meet or exceed what is essentially federal marketing standards, uh, then it is clear. I think it was it was clearly demonstrated in that hearing that they had no interest in having a critical discussion about this. They simply just wanted to beat these people up in public. Right. Uh, don't you know? What is it? The quote from thank you for smoking. uh, Let it be known that the public beating has not gone out of style. Um, Here we are uh, at at least a decade since that movie was put out more than a decade since that movie was put out. And Congress is still doing this. They did it to Janet Woodcock. They'll do it to CEOs of vapor companies uh, now and into the future. Um, and so it's
0: all and, big flex, though you know it, it is. The public it, it, buys into it because when, you, especially with tobacco companies, because big evil tobacco, uh, you know they're liars. They've caused all this harm. They've made all these victims, and and it's so easy for people to not see. Past that, when they see Congress, all good, all knowing, all justice, you know, Congress like this. Nobody thinks that about
1: Congress. Nobody thinks (laughs) that about Congress. Nobody thinks that about Congress. (laughs) I I hope not. I hope they may think that about, uh, you know, cancer, heart, and lungs, but they don't think that about
0: tobacco companies and, and things like this. It's so easy for them to buy into it because we've been taught for so long big evil tobacco. So anytime we see them getting beat up,
1: yeah. I, it's I mean like a you rallying know, cause, so, you know. So, so here's here's the deal. Tobacco companies screwed up. That's not up for debate. They misled the public for years about yeah. the harms associated with smoking before the smoke the Surgeon General's report. And and I uh, just to echo Michael Cummins Cummings Michael Cummings or Michael Cummins uh, statements on a, a seminar several months ago, back in the summer, uh, you know, one of the things that he pointed out in, in, in this discussion was whether or not industry should have a role in, in publishing science about these products and so on. And his argument was, yes, absolutely. We want tobacco industry science published in journals because back in the 80s, when this, you know, when the narrative changed from let's end smoking to let's end all tobacco and nicotine use, it was, uh, you know, they were also making decisions about uh, promoting light and low tar cigarettes and public health got on board with that and said light and low-tar cigarettes are a form of harm reduction, so that should be okay to suggest that people who smoke switch to these lower-risk tobacco products. All the while, tobacco companies knew, based on research that they had done, that light and low-tar cigarettes were not any safer than regular cigarettes and arguably were more dangerous. But because they, did not, they weren't forthcoming with that data and, and that, that research – Public health made a bad decision because they didn't see the industry research, and so uh, that that but they
2: were doing their own research too, though.
1: Sure, so but they could have come we, to that same. We know conclusion. their own research sucks, and it's usually just <laughs> agenda-driven, and and it's only in service of this this ideological crusade. And so now here we are again where tobacco control and all of these organizations are doing and promoting science in service of their ideological crusade. Meanwhile, the industry actually has the data and science that is required for authorization in the United (laughs) States and also in other countries around the world. And tobacco control is not only ignoring it, they're dismissing it and, 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 and continuing this narrative that tobacco companies are being deceptive. And sure, fine, I get it. I don't trust tobacco companies either. You shouldn't trust any company. If you're out there thinking that Elon Musk is going to save the world, you're dead wrong. Don't put your money into his company. Go find something else to do. The guy is is, is absolutely off the handle and whatever. All
2: right, we're digressing here.
1: We are digressing, but don't trust any company. (laughs) I don't care what their logo looks out or how paper their bags are. Don't trust them. (laughs) They're in it to do business and make a dollar. That's how business works. But it, it and and whatever. But I see what
2: it, you're saying. It's just it's extremely ironic that they've called out big tobacco for hiding the truth, and now their biggest goal is for big tobacco to keep hiding the truth. You know, they won't let them, Yeah. You know, they, because the they truth to is not in service
1: to, of their narrative.
2: They want to be keep punishing them is what it is, and and that was one of the things that I, I and I wish I I totally forgot about this. Um, On this one right here, Tobacco Control Brief Review of History and prospects for the Future. This was from 1997. Again, the link is down there. And it says the history of tobacco control demonstrates that public health advocacy resources, and this is showing how how they think that they, what what should we be doing? Where should we be spending our money? Um, They should be strategically focused in precisely the areas in which the industry feels the most vulnerable. So it's gone from let's help people who smoke to we need to go after the industry and where do they think it's vulnerable and this is this is what i thought was key because vaping has nicotine so it's that's why they had to keep going after nicotine so here you, here you go eg nicotine addiction regulation of nicotine and environmental tobacco smoke which now and environmental vapor rather than in areas in which the industry maintains a vocal presence for the purposes of public relations eg youth access so that's a key thing right there that says that's that's why they're going after nicotine because if they way back in 1997 it was we have to stop the nicotine we have to stop the industry it's all about killing the industry it's no and just letting people kill themselves you know not the actual person who's smoking and that's one of the main reasons why vaping is such a threat because now it's safe nicotine and, and they can't have that because now they can't take down the industry. God forbid that the industry should look good in any particular way. And again, I think the article, that other article that I talked about, but one of the other things I found here too was public health law center um, helps tobacco control, control the narrative and stuff. And there's, that's a really look at that PDF because that's really enlightening about training them. Oh, go on to Facebook and here's what you should say. Um, and Way back when, this is from 2014, they said, because how do we get from smoking to tobacco to now nicotine, rather than attacking smokers, advocates can frame tobacco use as a social and political issue, placing the primary focus on the behavior of tobacco companies And policymakers translate the individual problem to a social issue. Talk about the policies, not the behavior. Example, changing language from smoking to tobacco demonstrates a shift from individual behavior to a product that is manufactured, marketed, or regulated. Talk about the tobacco companies and those who regulate them rather than smokers. And they're not doing this because they give a shit, excuse me, they care about um, (laughs) about people who smoke, they're not changing it because we don't want to hurt the Feelings of people who smoke. We're doing that because it's manipulative, and we can get people sure. to do who we want. It, so it that seems to it on that way.
0: face value, like more humane, more empathetic towards. But that's not what they're doing it people for. who smoke.
2: Clearly, they're not it's doing it. For
0: smoke and reasons. mirrors, right? It's not yeah. really that they care. It's just the way that they're framing their
2: attacks, so that they can put put it all over onto the industry. Sure. And, and that's and there again, yeah, they're sure. in lines. That's, that's what so you have to keep this. And the whole purpose of this is advocates have mm-hmm. to keep this history in their mind at all times. They have to keep their motivations in their mind all the time. When you're go, you need to think about who you're talking to, you know, if you're talking to a lawmaker, who's not, um, sort of in that circle of public health, uh, probably leaning a little more to the right, <laughs> then you know, certain arguments are going to work better for him about things like taxes and small businesses and freedoms and all the other kind of stuff. And if you're talking to somebody that's more public health motivated or who has has these groups whispering in their ear, they're not going to listen. They're, that's why you see them all the time. That's why we say all the time that we need to get consumers out there because business is the enemy in these people's minds industry is the enemy industry. Like Alex said, they're all like Alex. They don't trust companies at all. Um, You know, and, you know, rightly in some cases, but I mean, by the same token, like Logan, you said before, well, why, or was it Alex? I don't remember, but you know, why is it, it's okay for the, um, the uh, fuel industry to be involved in discussions on fixing the environment stuff. Why is it okay for automobiles manufacturers to be in talking about, um, how to make cars safer. But when it comes to tobacco, that's the one that you just can't trust. You know, I forget one of you was talking about how yeah, it's.
1: I, it's I, I brought that up a few times and, and, yeah. it's, you know, it's this idea that, um, you know, I mean, if you applied the same logic, uh, to the, the tobacco industry, if you applied that to, to automakers, then, uh, then yeah, only Tesla would be the only company making EVs uh, they'd be the only ones allowed to do it, because why why should Ford and GM profit off of the solution uh, when they are arguably part of causing the climate crisis we're experiencing? Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I, I do want to wrap this up. And, but yeah, I, I did want to make one that. one <laughs> one final comment, because it was sort of invoked in, in, in what you were saying about, uh, uh, you know, people at, at these organizations working themselves out of a job. I don't think I've ever actually said that about CASA. Um, I I think my, my comments about my job are are more of like, if you want it, you can have it. Um, You know, I've been doing this for long enough, but you know, for me, everything is relative. Um, I've experienced burnout. I arguably am still burned out. Um, This is a very difficult thing to be a part of because of all the defeat and, and all all of the, the, this nonsense that we experience every day uh, as Kristen has, I, I think very, has highlighted very well. Uh, given this history that we're all sort of subject to. Um, and, you know, thinking about, I, I, got, I got two things here. One, uh, in thinking about the future of CASA and what role we would play, uh, I have imagined sort of the, you know, if there is sort of an, an eternal place for Kassah, it is as a, a resource to the community. Uh, and this is something that we can achieve simply by operating a, a website uh, I would love to get to a point where we can work on a, an even smaller shoestring budget uh, and, and really just provide an information resource to, to people who are curious about the products. Uh, that is a, a third party. It's not a, we're, We don't work to promote specific products. Uh, donations that we take from industry are not for promoting products. Uh, it is all about the the this concept of harm reduction and how it applies to tobacco use. Uh, specifically transitioning people away from combustion. And I think that consumers deserve all of that information that they're not going to get from the FDA. Legally, they cannot get it from the industry. They're not going to get it from the public health uh, organizations that claim to be protecting us. And so that, I think, is the role that CASA can can serve into the future or until FDA starts uh, speaking honestly about these products. The final thing, which is sort of in that vein, uh, is uh, from Scott I'm going to mess up your name here, uh, but Scott, Giel, uh, uh, Giel- Scott G- G- G. Midden, uh is vaping harmful in any characteristics? Well, if you're going to open it up to any, yes, there are absolutely scenarios in which vaping uh, can be harmful and arguably life-threatening. But in those instances, a lot of that is related to user error, which is something that can be corrected by enabling, well, I mean, vape shops uh, don't necessarily need to be enabled to give people valuable instruction about how to use these products, especially when you're talking about advanced devices. Uh, but uh, it, arguably, it is all about consumer education, educating people about how to take care of their batteries, uh, which even FDA has has uh, put out moderately yeah, even FDA's had
0: infographics that, and stuff that,
1: that, that had to be corrected when they first put them out because they were actually encouraging people to put naked batteries in their purse or their pocket. Um, and we had to, you know, uh, several of us had to jump in and say, Hey guys, you're actually, this is a recipe for disaster. Um, but so a lot of those potentially dangerous or or otherwise uh, measurably harmful uh, situations can be corrected with, consumer education. But in order to get to the part where we're educating people about how to properly use these devices, we have to be honest about these converse, about these products. Um, and certainly, I would expect through all of the research, uh, you know, research has been done on particular flavorants uh, that sort of, you know, when we talk about harms associated with vaping, we're really talking about unnecessary risks. So using constituent ingredients that uh, are easily replaced with something else that doesn't pose as much risk. Uh, that's where the conversation has been, but nothing. I, I mean, I repeat, under, underline a bold typeface. Nothing about vaping is going to make these products anywhere near as harmful as smoking. And so that's the context we need to look at, 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 at these products in. And, and research that does not compare vaping to smoking, research that only compares vaping to pristine, clean air, clean mountain air that n- almost nobody in the world has access to on a daily basis, um, those types of studies are total bunk. It's all yeah. about reducing the risk of consuming nicotine and how we go about doing that. Um, so I hope that answers your question and does so in an honest and transparent way, um, which is where this conversation needs to go. And, and that's really the only way that I think we're going to get through all of this ideology.
0: Yeah. And there are uh, a ton of resources out there, whether it be on YouTube or just engaging uh, with the community on social media, whether it be Twitter or Instagram or something like that, um, or in forums. Uh, about battery safety, uh, particularly uh, for people who DIY or who inter- who are interested in DIYing, uh, safety concerns about handling nicotine uh, and how to go about that. Like Alex said, there are potentially situations where these products can cause you harm, but they're not without correct. They're they're easily corrected with the right knowledge uh, and the right practices, and and, and you know. Just doing those things, yeah. so, so yeah. I mean, there are instances where you know, if you're, if you're using a mechanical mod and you've got a short in your atomizer and you hold the button down, don't let go. You know, you could potentially be in a situation where your lithium-ion battery, which is just a little can of really angry energy that wants to leave.
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's literal. That's what that's what a lithium-ion battery is. It's a lot of energy, a little package, and all it wants to do is escape. And if you have a situation where you have a short or something like that, you could potentially see uh, a battery run into a thermal runaway vent. Uh, it can potentially be dangerous, but there are a lot of steps along the way that a user can take to ensure that those things don't
2: happen. I think he was being a little more broad in general. Like, is there really? But no, anything- I mean, when but- we
0: really get down to what are the the serious risks of vaping. Right. I
1: I will say, I I don't know, Scott, it seems like a new name here. And so as far as I know, this could be somebody who's interested in uh, finding vapor product, you know, trying vapor product for the first time. And so I I feel that person deserves an honest answer. And the honest answer is not, oh, yeah, no, they're completely safe. Nobody believes that. Oh, no, 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 (laughs) nobody believes that. Nobody is saying that either. There are risks and we can mitigate those risks by giving people honest information.
0: Yeah, And,
2: oh, like, yeah. Like and, and good, it's I mean, true that are... nothing is a hundred percent. I mean, nothing right. is nothing that we consume yeah. or do is safe. A hundred percent safe. Nothing. You can name anything right now and there's nothing that's a hundred percent. safe. Like so everything your needs your to be relative. And home. that's what gets lost in the conversation. Most of the time is relatively safe. And they usually grass, you know, generally regarded as safe. That's what the term they usually use when they're talking about things that they're generally regarded as safe because the risks are so low that most people think of them as being safe. Uh, look at the difference between flying and driving. Most people think flying is a scary, dangerous thing and that driving is relatively safe, but they're more likely to die in a car than they are in a plane. So sure. You know, if we
0: had as many, airplane crashes as we do car accidents every year. I mean, they would just be falling from the sky. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, it'd be, it'd be insane, but yeah. yeah, And then like Alex said, you know, there are certain aromatics, which is a better term for the flavorants that we use, uh, in vapor products that potentially carry more risk than other ones, uh, when they're heated, uh, especially up to higher temperatures, high wattage, uh, mods, but, that's a conversation that the industry has had for a long time about some of those, those ingredients. And uh, there has been a number of them that have been simply removed and something else has taken its place, something that is safer, or something that has less concern. Um, but even those products, even, even the most potentially dangerous aromatics in a vapor product, still those risks are so much lower than smoking.
2: Yeah, it's got to be relative. That's why Alex was saying. Yeah, diacetyl
0: was a really great example. It's a buttery uh, flavor. It's a real buttery flavor. Um, And there was a lot of concern about it. Um, it, But even the products that had a high level of diacetyl, there's still hundreds of times more diacetyl in a cigarette that you smoke than there was ever in any vapor product that was on the market. It's all relative. So it's all relative. If you simply were to take, and you, like Alex said, and compare these things to crisp, fresh, non-polluted right. mountain air that, you know, trees don't even have access to.
2: If you live in <laughs> Nepal.
0: Right. Then then sure. Yeah. There's, there's more risk involved. But that's not the point of these products. And it should really exclusively be compared to smoking.
2: They always want to gloss over the harm reduction part and just yeah. compare it yeah. to, like people are going to buy it like out of a at the end cap at the grocery store like you grab a pepsi you know but in reality it's probably not much worse than the Pepsi.
0: (laughs) imagine where we would be if innovation hadn't been frozen by fda regulations as somebody uh who yeah as somebody who started vaping in 2017 and i watched innovation happen from that point on in vapor technology i don't really know how much those FDA regulations slowed that innovation? I mean, <laughs> the industries, so we we innovated, man. I mean, not we like like consume well, some consumers who started businesses and whatnot, not Kassa. Um, but innovation has definitely happened since 2016 and a <laughs> lot of it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely i agree
2: well having been somebody who started in 2009 and was oh yeah <laughs> doing modding at on ecf of little carts trying to figure out how we can turn it into something like a tank and yeah. seeing tanks come along and all that kind of stuff <clears throat> i don't They'll know who knows those. where we'd be right now we probably have ones that talk to your phone i just did a survey the other day and they were asking me how many puffs a day do you take i'm like i have no idea i have no idea i couldn't tell you but there's probably there probably would be an app for that right now if they hadn't stopped everything you know i still want to see the are, sales
1: numbers I, I, i'm fairly confident there are <laughs> devices with some are. Sort of bluetooth connection to your phone even i i have a device somewhere that does there that are. has a puff counter um and other goofy but they stuff can't be I,
2: approved because they weren't on the market before
1: 2007. yeah <laughs> but also kind of doesn't matter because they're still on the market.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And i honesty, I don't really care how many puffs I take. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, don't I, uh, I, mean.
0: I do still want to see the sales numbers on aquarium blue foam from like 2010 <laughs> to 11. Puff Puff <laughs> For the, I, it was way before my time, but I've heard oh, plenty right. of stories about debridging atomizers and using blue aquarium foam.
2: Oh yeah. But <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: glad that we're beyond those days. Okay. And silica wicks. I'm glad we're beyond that too. Anyways, (laughs) uh, I think this is a really great time to wrap this show up. Uh, Thank you, everybody out there. Do we have any final thoughts and comments on this deep dive, Kristen, Alex, or on this week in general?
2: I just want to say, check out those links, you guys are in the description. Um, Learn about the history. It's very important that we know who our opposition is and what their motivations are. And if you only have part of the story, you could be messing up when you're going out there to advocate and such. Uh,
0: Scott G also said really quick before we go, how do we get the word out to people who are still smoking cigarettes? Share this, share Casa with your friends, Mm -hmm. your family, Uh, share knowledge. Uh, Each one, teach one. If we can pass that knowledge along uh, from individual, from us, to our friends, to our family, to our peers, to our coworkers—that sort of thing—in a respectful uh, manner, and and just just with compassion and empathy, uh, and and help teach each other. And that's that is exactly how we pass that information along to people still smoking cigarettes. Um, that's how it got passed along to me. Uh, I didn't really know whether they were safe or not, but I worked with a guy uh, who had switched, and he he vaped, and we worked together, and we went mowing together, and he filled the truck with uh fruit loops clouds and uh and it piqued my curiosity and he told me how much better he felt he told me his story uh and it wasn't too long after that that i went and i decided to visit the vape shop so that way i could try to quit smoking as well so that is exactly uh how we get the word out to people who are still smoking cigarettes anyways Thank you to everybody who tuned in this week. Thanks for sticking around. I know we went a little bit past, so thank you guys uh, to everybody who's still here. For podcast listeners, uh, there will be two episodes available. They are the same episode. One is just a shorter hand legislative only episode for people who have a quick commute to work and you want, you got 20 minutes, you, you want to know what's happening. That's the best place to check it out. You can get all that information right quick. Um, Oh, what else we got? If you haven't joined CASA yet, please do. Uh, It's absolutely free. You can sign up for newsletters. You can be involved in all the things, get alerts for calls to action, all that good stuff. Check out our blog every week. Um, And again, those calls to action and stuff that we have out right now, in particular, the nicotine tax that is nationwide. If you have not done that call to action, please do it right. Leave, leave the stream right this minute, right now, Don't even listen to the rest of what I have to say and go do that call to action immediately. And you don't have to do it just once. It's not a one and done kind of thing. You can do this multiple times. Please share your personal story in the provided message. Uh, Feel free to leave the message that Kassah has in there, but go ahead and share your story as well. Uh, Am I forgetting anything? Um, Check out the merch shop. You can buy cool swag, T-shirts, all sorts of fun stuff over there. I think that's it. I think... I think that's the spiel. All right, everybody, uh, be excellent to each other. Uh, stay safe, and we will see you guys same place, same time next week, four thirty p.m. Eastern, one thirty over on that other coast. I don't know the times around the world. You'll have to. be not. Out.
2: Alex not though. No, not Alex. Alex no, is not going to be, be here next week.
0: That. Next, next week, yeah. Alex. is going to after figure him. that out. Uh, we're going <laughs> to give him a week off. He's earned it, and uh, and and I don't know. Me and Kristen have to. Uh, we have to brainstorm
2: out
0: what we're gonna do yeah maniacal laughter cue that now <laughs> all right all right everybody yeah we're we're, we're out of here take us away Kristen.